I got all my notes here, okay. so that's good. Do you have any questions or anything before we start? I don't think so. Okay. I think I did enough prep. It's tr- it's starting to go out the window, but <laughs> we'll hope it doesn't go all the way out the window. How much prep did you do? Uh, I just like watched the first uh, podcast to get an idea of it, and I also made sure I remembered to do the um, after podcast message. So <laughs> Very nice. Okay, so let's see if I remember how to do this. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Flowdown. This is episode four of a podcast featuring conversations with Three Rivers students, faculty, and staff. My name is Andrew Marvin. I teach English at Three Rivers, and my guest today is Hiram Merkley. Hiram is a computer science major, an aspiring author, a computer programmer, a tabletop game master, and a bibliomaniac. Hiram, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. I meant to ask you before we started recording, just out of paranoia, if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Yes, it, I, I do have a habit of not correcting people. <laughs> um, but yes, Hiram is the pronunciation of my name. I know I asked you for clarification once years ago, I think shortly after we first met. But you know, you don't see somebody for a long time or you don't say their name for a long time and you start to get paranoid. Yeah, no, absolutely. How's your winter going? It's going, going good so far. It, it had a heck of a start going into the semester, but now that I'm kind of getting off that, it's going kind of well. I feel like the winter semester is so much quicker on the treadmill than the summer semester. Now, when so. you say winter semester, are you talking about the intercession? Oh, or? intercession, sorry. <laughs> so do you took classes over the winter? I did not. Okay. So you're talking about the kind of the ramp up of the spring. Yes. That starts in that January. Makes- yeah, that's a better way of working that. <laughs> um, I do feel like the spring semester definitely has a different valence than the fall. And I've been thinking, too, that it seems like it just gets real busy real mm-hmm. fast. Um, what do you, as a student, what do you feel is the the difference in energy, maybe, between fall and, and the spring semester? I feel like the fall semester has a lot more new students, so you have that like big burst of people are excited to be on a campus for the first time in forever. We're like spring, everyone's kind of learned from the previous semester, so like I don't know if it's like the energy is a little bit simmered in general, but also the winter intercession is a lot shor- shorter than the summer. Like for someone like me, like me who likes to do a lot of prep time, get all my books in order, make sure I have lists of like at least the first week of assignments I need to get due and whatnot. It's less time overall, and plus I like to have my own personal projects, so lots of things overlapping, and it's it's sometimes difficult. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like the I always say that the fall semester benefits from having back to school energy mm-hmm. because you know, you're coming off of summer and you know, it's September, so it's still beautiful outside, and you sort of have that enthusiasm coming off of the summer of going back to school. But the spring, you have the, I don't want to call it a malaise, but you sort of have the inertia of the holidays. Plus, it's wintertime, and it's cold, and you sort of got to go back. And so the springtime, to me, feels like you start low and climb up toward the light of summer. Yeah. Whereas fall, you're kind of starting high and slowly descending into darkness. <laughs> but then you, you do have the holidays to look forward to. No, absolutely. That's a very good point. Thank you. What is your relationship to winter as a season? So my birthday was January 25th. So Happy birthday. That, that was thank you. days ago. Yeah, 22. <laughs> and it, so besides that, it's more... Oh, I don't really know how to put it because like it's more everyone's inside because I, although I can handle the cold, I've had a family that has historically not wanted to be outside during cold times. So it's just I associate with like being indoors around with a lot of people more often, which seems to be a common basis because a lot of people got sick over the winter. So yeah, tis the season. I think uh, the seasonal affective disorder is a real thing, but in recent years, I've tried to I've tried to like the winter. Mm -hmm. I've tried to enjoy it for what it is. And I do, 
I think I would certainly prefer to be um, chilly rather than sweating. Absolutely. Um, I like to put it, there's only so much clothes you can take off before it's no longer socially acceptable, whereas <laughs> you can put on as much layers as you want. Yeah, that's a great point. And plus, uh, I have very long hair, and that works better in the winter than it does the summer. Yeah, definitely. So I try to enjoy the winter for what it is in terms of, you know, it's, it's crispy and... Um, I found a great article probably a couple years ago at this point that I'll try to find for the show notes, but it was sort of a, it was like a, a piece of journalism uh, talking to some demographic of people that live like way up north, just in like a, a climate where it's mm-hmm. always winter effectively. Oh, yeah. You know, and the, and the piece was kind of investigating how do you how do you deal with that, with it being winter all the time? You know, how do you not get depressed, you know, when there's... X amount of sunlight, you know, compared to what we might have down here. And I, I don't remember the, the specifics, but the gist that I took away from it was that those people were just sort of like, why would we be depressed just because it's cold outside, which kind of really resonated with me. Okay. Not to say that, again, the seasonal affective disorder, I think is a real thing. But, you know, you can't change the weather, you can only okay. change how you deal with it. Absolutely. It's all a matter of perspective. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, up there in like Canada, Alaska, where it's like sometimes, oh yeah, it's literally half of the year, it doesn't become fully night. And then the other half, it's always night. So that must be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But that's always sort of stuck with me. Just um, it's temporary in the mm-hmm. wintertime. And despite the fact that I, I think I have trained myself to enjoy it, I think it does still weigh on me you know, on kind of a, a subconscious level, just because I do find myself moving more slowly and wanting to sleep more. But I think that's what winter's for. Yeah, I, especially because like, I'm a big hiker and 10,000 steps a day person. And it's a lot harder to do that in the winter, because I will literally walk up the kind of hill mountain area behind my house, go maybe like a 1000 or so steps, realize like, it's way too cold. I am not enjoying this and double right back. Yeah. It's yeah. not fun. Good for you. My fiance is a 10,000 steps a yeah. day person. I really struggle with with doing that. I would love to be a 10,000 steps a day person, but I just, um, it, it it's very hard for me to do. Not to say that it's yeah. not difficult for you either as a discipline, but I think in the wintertime, they say that getting outside is even more important in the wintertime, even though we want to hunker down. With the new year, because we're recording in January, this episode will probably be out in February if all goes according to plan. Do you assign any value to the new year? In recent years, no. I was a lot more optimistic as a kid, but uh, recent years especially. (laughs) I know 2020, I legitimately was playing the final countdown, and the final countdown uh, main riff hit at 2020. I was like, it's going to be a good year. And then 2020 (laughs) was 2020. So after that, I've been like cautiously optimistic but i do use it as an opportunity to kind of redefine my goals my main goal i kind of mentioned it in the podcast uh quiz form sorry there's no quiz don't worry (laughs) it's like oh no i'm being great so unfortunate i i really wanted to complete my book and the thing that's really i've hit a barrier with in the past is the publishing process is probably the single most daunting thing for me because even when i got like something that was a passable project for me and i had it with my mother and some of my friends that would actually read the book like went over it it fundamentally works pretty well it's just getting that next level of actually going to publisher which just is incredibly daunting for me and i imagine it's similar for like the music industry and other forms of publishing video game industry like it must be very daunting going to that part yeah i can't imagine i mean at that point you're really it's got to be a real state of vulnerability to share something that you've spent so much time on with somebody who is completely neutral in the sense of they're not a friend or family member so yeah i can't imagine the 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 stress level of that but so for you there is a kind of significance to january 1st in terms of redefining your your priorities you said yes more I'd say, like, I'd give more gravity towards my birthday than January 1st, but it's such a close band together, 1st to 25th, that it almost blends into one. Like, I like to view, like, January 1st is when I should start prepping my ideas, and when, uh, January 25th is where I should start enacting them. That's cool. That, that That's handy, because your birthday is so close to the new year. Yeah. My theory 
which I've only arrived at in the past year or so, is because the couple podcasts that I listen to are pretty down on the traditional cliche New Year's resolution type thing. You know, and I get the the numerical significance of January 1st, you know, which is cool. But my theory that I just started implementing uh, this past year is that January is not the time to reinvent yourself because it's... And obviously, it's different for everybody, but January doesn't feel like the right time for me because, like I said, my energy is sort of in a trough in January. You know, you're recovering from the holiday diet, and it's cold, and it's I feel like it's harder to get motivated. And so for me, I'm starting to treat September as the time for, for reinvention because you're coming off of that summertime where you've had significantly more downtime, at least for those of us in academia. Oh, yeah. And then coming out of the summertime, and summertime is not real life, you know, it's it's an anomaly, you know, and then coming back to school in September always feels like a return to real life. And so I think for me, enacting a, a significant change or improvement in September feels right. And then when you go into the holidays, you've already got three or four months <laughs> under your belt of self-improvement. So I don't know, that's that's sort of been working for me lately. Yeah, I think that's a better idea overall. <laughs> Just like move to Australia, because that's pretty much how seasons work down there anyway. Oh, well, there you go. See, I didn't even think of that. I don't think about Australia enough other than uh, its, its dangerousness. <laughs> Everything will kill you is yes. the meme. Even the Australia. kangaroos will get you. They'll get you. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Kick to the face. Tell me a little bit about your path to Three Rivers and what led you here. I have a bit of a wild path, honestly, because I was thinking about it the other day. I was born in Utah and kind of went through the education system there. And being the person I am and growing up in Utah was a little bit of a contrast because I, the way I view the world is a lot different than a lot of people in Utah will to not go into too much detail on that. Um, And I was then in the military academy and then I moved to Europe because of my dad's job. And then I'm a 2020 graduate. So that was the pandemic. And I was looking back on it. Like I struggled in high school because of ADHD and autism. Just like, I would succeed on almost every test, but I was not a homework person. Like it didn't have any incentive to me. So then 2020, I got stuck in Europe because all the planes shut down because of COVID and all of that. So I got lucky enough to get a job as a paraprofessional and assistant librarian at the school I graduated from, which was a very awesome experience for me. I got to be a teacher as well as work in the library, which was very fun. And then 2021, I'm back in school, which I feel like the gap year definitely helped give me a break. Like I did have a fear that when I got back on the treadmill, especially because I did have a rough 2020 academic year outside of AP courses, because that's so focused on the test that it works right into my style, that I would uh, run into the same mistakes I did in high school. But I feel like the freedom of college has actually helped me. Like there's less rigid guidelines in college at least with most professors i've found in the college like take your writing classes for example the amount of freedom i got in those like genuinely helped me and as well as the history class i took last semester with peter patsoris his mid paper was a creative writing assignment and i think that's the single most fun i've had on the project this entire my entirety of school here that's so cool. So when you say 2020 graduate, that was high school. Yes. Right. Okay. I graduated COVID year. Awesome. And when you say the freedom of college, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly uh, interested in advising as far as faculty members go. And one of the things that we frequently talk about in advising is sort of the, uh, the shock in transitioning from the really rigid structure, as far as I remember, yeah. uh, of high school to the freedom of college. And so I think a lot of students really struggle with that adjustment because there is, I don't want to say less accountability, but, but in some ways there is less accountability because it's not like going from room to room. And I appreciate you felt like there was freedom in, in the class that which classes did we have together? Technical writing and poetry. Technical writing and poetry. Okay, good. Those are the two rarer yeah, of the no, Mr. Marvin experiences. This is definitely a while because, oh gosh, I still remember my technical writing paper. Yeah. I wrote on uh, the video game industry and how bad 
bad some of the worker treatment is with uh, crunch time and the blizzard situation, which is right. a very upsetting incident if you want to go into detail on that. but Yeah, is that... Weren't there just layoffs? More layoffs? Oh, yeah, recently, yeah. Like, the video game industry has been, like, pummeled with layoffs recently. It, it's a little upsetting yeah to put it lately tough times for everybody yeah when you say you found a lot of freedom in my writing classes that surprised me a little bit because i do feel like some aspects of my course are very very rigid Mm -hmm. and very structured and i do intentionally try to provide that for students so what was the freedom for you in those classes it's weird because I feel like it's a little bit of an oxymoron because I like having structured like outlines, like everything on your syllabus with uh, especially the poetry journal, even though I kind of got behind on it with mm. like, you want to finish these amount of words for uh, this week. Like I, that helps me out a lot, but the freedom with like major projects, like my poetry final, I just decided I would include Beowulf in it because I was really fascinated with the etymology of words at the time and still very much am. So like the ability to kind of go off the rails a little bit with my papers, that was very uh, fulfilling honestly i'm glad to hear that and i do remember the beowulf <laughs> uh <laughs> very brave i think i do try to provide that balance between the structure and the freedom and i think i remember talking about this with shay at the beginning of the show you know in the sense of providing structure in terms of what the assignment needs to do but not telling you what you need to write about because i do want you to have the creative f- freedom to pursue mm-hmm. the topics that you're most interested in what's it like in utah um Different. Uh, So Utah is honestly a really wild place comparatively to Connecticut. So, oh, I don't even know where to begin because it's a desert, but the weather's always insane. The people there are very, mostly the older generation. I definitely experience with uh, the younger people more my age, a lot of different opinions, but it's very Mormon culture. And a lot of that leads to decisions being made by the lawmakers that are interesting. I'll, I'll put interesting there to not cause controversy. Sure. So when you say it's it's a desert, what is the climate like in Utah? So is it cold most of the time? It, it's weird because it has very hot summers. Okay. There was a drought briefly. And then it had massive snowstorms for a while. We It gets wicked. So not quite Midwest, like Illinois area, like wicked winters, but still some pretty sizable winters, which is a little bit weird because like desert, but snows a lot. And also there's big mountains. Yeah, that's what I associate with Utah, I think. There's got to be a good skiing scene oh, out there, right? it's yeah. massive. They had the Winter Olympics and won't shut up about the fact that they had the Winter Olympics. Like, yeah, 2002, I think, my birth year. So did you say that you um, you grew up in Utah, born and raised, or you were just there for a bit? Up until 15. 15, okay, so formative Almost. years. Yeah. Nice. Do we miss it? Do we go back? Oh, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> I feel like I do like... Utah as a state itself, because I'm a big, like, traverser and hiking, I do have, like, memories of visiting some of those national parks in Moab, especially. I feel like it would be awesome to be able to hike there. But a lot of the friends that I had in Utah, I feel like I grew up in a different direction than them. So I feel like I not acclimate well to that environment as well whereas i feel like i'm kind of better acclimating made it here honestly yeah got it so then you moved from you were in europe when the pandemic hit yes where in europe uh bosnia and herzegovina which is um in the balkans yes it's right above greece essentially okay and you were there in that specific location because your family was there at the time yeah my dad's job got it okay what's it like in the balkans Uh, Lots of mountains. It gets very polluted during the winters because it's like literally a dome. And since they have a bunch of like coal plants everywhere, like the smoke has nowhere to escape because and it becomes like a bowl of soup. It can be sometimes volatile among certain ethnic groups in the Balkans. There were, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but like the Yugoslav wars right before I was born essentially were very, very volatile. And there are still a lot of ill will in that area between certain groups and it's definitely an interesting experience (laughs) to put it lightly sure but not bad 
Okay. Utah and, and the Balkans, two geographic locations that I have not visited. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, or in what ways, has visiting those areas changed your perspective on anything? Oh, that's tough. It, it definitely has, but I'm just trying to like put the right words of how exactly. Like, people... I think Europe more so than Utah, like my perspective of, oh, this is how people deal with the things over here. And here's how people perceive me because I came from over here. And it's always fascinating watching how people perceive the world and perceive the idea of America without like actually living in America. And I feel like it's sometimes a bit of a shock when people actually get into America, like, oh my gosh, it costs so much money around here. Whereas uh, there's something called the Burger Mac Index of like how much something will cost in one country compared to the other. Like everything's a lot cheaper over there. Whereas America, it's like money. (laughs) Yeah. So is is the perspective over there is it sort of more idealistic than what we know is the reality? Very idealistic. I know uh, when I lived in Kosovo, people would uh, literally come up to me like, wow, you're from U.S., dream of mine to go to New York. And it's almost like fangirling over it. It's kind of funny. But at the same time, it's like, oh, yeah, I've actually been there. It's, I mean, it's probably an experience if you go there for like a one-time visit, but almost feel like since I've lived in it so long, it's almost like a numbing experience. Yeah. Like Novocaine. Right. So you're a well-traveled guy. Yeah, somewhat, I'd say. I've definitely been around Europe, Yeah, which Scotland was fun. That's cool. I would love to go to Scotland. My family and I did go to Dublin. Oh, nice. One one year, and uh, it was actually in January. And, and one would think, why would one go to Ireland in January? But apparently, January is typically pretty mild in Ireland. But when we went, this must have been like 2010, maybe. They had like the coldest winter on record in Dublin, which was the equivalent of like two inches of snow and they did not know what to do like we landed in the dublin airport and we had to sit on the tarmac for a long time while a bulldozer shoveled some slush so they they like didn't have shovels like literally so that was kind of an interesting cultural experience but i would love to to get to europe more I wanted to ask you about, and feel free to to not answer this, (laughs) because obviously you don't have to talk about anything you're not comfortable with, but I feel like you and I uh, are or were the last bastion of masking for a while uh, at the tail end of this pandemic. And I don't know if you're still wearing yours, but I know that uh, being in classes together, I know that it certainly seemed like we kind of persisted a little bit with the masks a little bit longer Mm -hmm. than, than most folks did. Was it difficult for you to do something that almost nobody else is doing sometimes because it's very rare some people do like to make comments on that to my face and i tend not to care too much i still do but i i literally ran out and i'm waiting for jeff bezos to give me my next batch of k95 masks (laughs) um yeah it it kind of is, but at the same time, I know why I'm doing it is for my personal safety as well as I live with my grandparents. So I also have to be very aware of that as well. Yeah. So yeah, I make the choice to keep that on most of the times. Like sometimes when I feel like I'm not around a big group of people, I won't wear it. But if I'm in the gym, sometimes I'll have it on. But if I'm alone in the gyms, it's off. It. It's all about like the environment, I think, is where I keep it in. And some people like to make comments, but that's... Yeah, I've encountered very few comments. I mean, sometimes people point it out. Often, like here on campus, it's usually in a complimentary way, like good oh, yeah. for you, you know, for, for hanging in there. And obviously, everybody should do what makes them feel comfortable as, uh, as we do. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, for the most part, you know, I know a lot of people, it's, it's physically uncomfortable, you know, it's, it's not a comfortable thing, you know, it feels claustrophobic, something like that. Bigger for me, it's, it's, it's relatively easy. You know, even teaching with it. I mean, it's not as easy as not teaching with a mask. You have to project a bit more. Yeah. You got to project a little bit. And more. I definitely noticed that because one time we were setting up for an event for our office, uh, student programs, and I took my mask off briefly because someone couldn't hear me and I didn't realize, but I pretty much shouted at the person because like, I'm used to projecting so much with my mask on. Yeah, I, f- I fear that if and when uh, I take my mask off in the classroom that I'm just going to blast just, everybody's eardrums. Just boom. 
Yeah, and I feel like my projection's pretty good to begin with. That phrase, just notwithstanding, that I just tried to pronounce. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same way. I made it to August 2023 without getting COVID. And um, my fiance still hasn't had it because she, she works from home. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to bring anything home to her, obviously. And, you know, my COVID experience, fortunately, knock on wood, was was not a huge deal. You know, I, I had a fever for two or three days, felt crappy for three or four days, but but I was positive for 10 days. And so I lived in our guest bedroom to, to keep her from getting sick yeah. for 10 days. And going forward, hopefully... You know, I wouldn't be positive for 10 days if I got it again or when I get it again. But uh, I just can't afford to be off the off the reservation for 10 days. Like, oh, that's no, a lot absolutely. of time to, to sacrifice. Yeah, I, I got very lucky when I got it this fall because it was... I definitely got in my history class because someone was coughing next to me. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to get sick, aren't I? And then I do. And luckily, I got well right before when I could get back into class again. And yes. Whew, I was like, that was so lucky. Yeah, that's how I felt, too. <laughs> that's how I felt because I got it in August. So I was I was in the clear, you know, right before classes yeah. started. But, yeah, I mean, speak about, speaking about trying to stay motivated over the summer <laughs> it's like, having God, damn it. yeah not happening having COVID in August I appreciate you sharing that I just found thought it was a sort of a, a common thread between yeah. us so but it's getting better out there a little yeah. bit knock on wood everybody be careful uh let's see so i want to talk a little bit more about what you're doing here at three rivers so so you're a computer science major and you also uh, identified yourself as a computer programmer Mm -hmm. so what is it what what i guess um drives you toward computer science what is it about the field that that speaks to you so i just really love creating things as well as writing novels and whatnot My original plan was to go into for creative writing, but I figured that going for software engineering would give me a better base with things because I feel like there's an incredible amount of resources to learn online for both computer science and creative writing. But I feel it might be better to have a degree in creative writing, uh, no, degree in computer science overall. And there's also a little bit of pressure from my family, but I very much enjoy doing it. I like when I can create programs that do dumb things, even if it's a program that literally breaks itself. And the amount of times that a friend will be just doing something when we're on a call and I'll be like, I can make a program to calculate that. And I make a program and it does the thing. And I feel so proud of myself. That's cool. It's, Where does that familial pressure come from? Is, do you come from a family of computer scientists? Uh, no. Um, to put it, I don't wonder if my mom's going to see this. I doubt she will, but it, it was essentially like, it's kind of happening to my sibling as well, where they're kind of going, don't get a English degree, get this degree because it'll make you more money. And I'm like, I, I don't, I, I probably should care more about money, but I kind of just care about doing what I'm doing. And that's why I'm trying to encourage my sibling, just stick with what you want to do. Like I do want to do computer science. It's not like I'm truly pressured, like, if I did feel pressured, it would reflect in how I perform in school, so. So you do see computer science versus creative writing as being, I think it's a classic conflict that I know I certainly went through, but kind of a, a, a dichotomy between the practical, career-oriented, how will I be able to eat sort of choice when it comes to major versus yeah. the more perhaps slightly fulfilling but maybe slightly quote-unquote less practical according to some people path yeah it's a bit of a gamble unfortunately as well as yeah but you like computer science i do and you I feel good about it. it when i got to sacred heart university we had just gotten the the jack welch college of business which i part of my brain was like maybe this is a sign that i should get a business degree and wow. you know and be have a very lucrative career and it took me until halfway through my sophomore year before I even declared my major, which was English. And um, so I, I went through it, and I think a lot of people go through it. But for me, it was really about, first of all, I took a lot of courses and tried a lot of courses that were not good for my GPA. <laughs> like, marketing was super interesting, microeconomics, macroeconomics, like, interesting stuff, but definitely not anything that I felt particularly skilled at. 
Yeah. And my English classes, not only did I do better in those classes, but it was also sort of the type of people that I gravitated toward, mm. you know, the, the kinds of classmates that I was surrounded by, but also the, the kinds of professors that I found myself annoying and irritating <laughs> on a regular basis. I think that's that's a useful metric or can be a useful metric because what kind of people do you want to surround yourself yeah. with? What sort of the contrary to that point, what similarities do you see between creative writing and computer science? Because they seem kind of antithetical in some ways. The way I like to kind of rationalize it and I talk about a lot with people is it's both about creating things essentially People don't realize how structured creative writing can be, even though it is relatively free. It's creative, but you always want to have like foreshadowing, the buildup of plot, essentially. Creating a program, although not as intricate as that, is kind of like that. You create something, everything has to have a purpose within the program, and if it doesn't have a purpose, you have to defend why is it here, or can it be useful in the future for a later project? And I do think they're comparable, even though vastly different fields. It's kind of like that. They're both like language-esque, but not entirely. One's not entirely human language, and one's not entirely computer language. Yeah. No, I totally see that. I think uh, you know the writing process is all about, it's just a series of, of tiny mm -hmm. decisions. And yeah, you have to, if you're going to put this in, you need to be able to justify it. It's yeah. the same way with a paragraph as opposed to a computer program, yeah. I would imagine. So as a computer scientist, does that mean you, do you have a favorite programming language or what is that? My best, kind of your area? My best by a mile is Java, which is because I used to code a ton of Minecraft mods for sheer fun. And also it was the language I used for my AP computer science class. So I got very familiar with it. I, I'd say I'm adept with a good bit of languages, but Java definitely is my best. The first one I actually learned was C++, which is very rare because C++ is one of the more difficult languages before you get into assembly and machine language, which I'm probably saying a bunch of words here. That's okay. I took some kind of computer course, but I think we it was Visual Basic or something that we yeah, that we learned basic, at the time, um, and that was like high school. But I I like I'm always drawn to the idea of which is kind of interesting now that I think about it, because I'm not like a sports guy, and so I don't really subscribe to that kind of tribalism. But oh, people, gosh. I think, feel strongly about different programming languages, and different kinds of people are drawn to different kinds of programming languages. You know, like, people that are into Python are really pa passionate about Python, but people that are into you know Ruby are, are way into that. What is it about Java for you that, that feels the most Hiram-esque? The main reason why is Java kind of has a lot more structure than Python does. Like, I know people love Python that love Python, but the fact that Python doesn't have semicolons and relies solely on indents to making sure your program doesn't blow itself up, that is not great for me. And plus the programs that allow use of Java... I just have a little bit more luck with because Visual Studio sometimes throws it. Sometimes Visual Studio just does not want to exist for C++. So I feel like Eclipse, which is one of Java's engines, has like a lot more ease of use than that, with the exception of FX stuff, which is creating applications for Java. It, it's just like a little bit, it's a little bit more... I'm trying to find the right word, a little bit more structured than Python, where there's rules that you have to follow that can all cause your program to work. Like Python ignores some things that other programming languages do that make it sometimes easy to break Python. Like it's almost like Python's a little bit too easy. Hmm. Whereas C++, I just struggle with the programs that involve C++, which I can probably work around, but we'll yeah. see. So to put this in, in sort of concrete, practical terms for those of us that are not computer scientists, what kind of programs does one make with Java? Java, you can make applications, games. It's C++ and Java are the two most common languages, and C Sharp for game development. Uh, a little bit of backend design for databases and websites. So it, 
for some websites that have like enter your information, your username and password, all that stuff will be in either a Java database, in an Oracle database, or it will be in a SQL database, which that's another uh, language, SQL. But yeah, that's what Java is mostly used for, as well as like basic applications. Like I, I'm blanking on some other examples, but pretty much that. Is there a program that you've made that you rely on on like a daily basis? Briefly, yes. I, I created a little program that would allow me to essentially just prioritize things essentially. So there's something in software engineering called a decision analysis resolution, which is essentially you sign a bunch of variables of something, a ranking, and then you decide what is the best option to do based off of that ranking. So sometimes I will schedule myself with it. I It's very old. I don't use it anymore because I just preferred creating an Excel spreadsheet of my schedule, essentially. So yeah. that was like the closest I got to relying on a program, but that's cool, though. I'm sure there's a lot of repetitive tasks that I do that could be automated, yeah. but I just lack the ability to to automate them. I wanted to, speaking sort of along those lines of, of organization or productivity, you strike me, I've looked at your transcript or anything, but you strike <laughs> me as a successful student. What sort of systems or values do you hold yourself to to help you stay organized or stay productive or what helps you to kind of stay on top of everything that you have going on? I create a bunch of lists every week, essentially. Like I literally have a notebook and I put sticky notes for every single uh, subject and I literally list off every single assignment for the week and I just check, check off that box. The reason I do that is because I know a lot of people struggle with like the world being a world of instant gratification. So when you turn in an assignment, you don't immediately know what you got for it. Like a discussion post or essay, you don't know what you got on it. So checking off that box that I did this helps me rationalize that like, okay, you did good. Now just wait for the um, assignment to be graded. And as well as like just making sure I have all the supplies I need going into the semester. It's mostly just books, but sometimes it's getting notebooks for each class and all that. Yeah. So you're a list guy. Yes. And do you, you may have just said this, but do you, is it a sort of a, do you operate kind of like on a weekly basis where you kind of like at the beginning of the week, you always look at, all right, here's everything that needs to be accomplished this week. Or is there a different uh, list for a different class or areas of your life? It's mostly weekly. Some stuff does cascade because one of my classes, everything is due Thursday. One of them, everything's due Friday. One of them's everything's due Wednesday. So I have to like kind of change my list space off of that. But that's like the only difference. I think there's really something to what you just described about checking things off because a lot of times, especially because we do so much of our work digitally mm. now, and this is one reason why my course outlines are sort of designed the way they are, it, it makes it a little bit more concrete when you put it on paper. And I think we were talking about this maybe even before I hit record, but the act of, I think you call it a second brain, which yes. is something I just heard, you know, for the, the hundredth time on a podcast, because mm -hmm. it's a concept I think about a lot. Uh, but having that sort of concrete artifact, whether it's just um, an item on a list, mm -hmm. you know, really helps to get that thing out of your head and prevents you from having to remember it. Yeah. You know, because you don't have to remember it because it's there on the on the page. A hundred percent. Yeah. The, it's there's so much things in your brain. It's constantly shifting. There's so many things you have to worry about. And it's good to, if something's important, get it on a sheet because it's out of your brain and it can exist there and you can go back to it. It's helpful. Yes. Is that something you discovered yourself? Because that really resonates with me as something that I think about constantly and live by constantly. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you sort of discovered on your own or did you learn that at some point? Um, I actually kind of came to that conclusion myself. I didn't really check on too much stuff i just was kind of going off of what worked best for me like do i want to set up like specific times for everything or do i want to have a checkbox and i figured having a checkbox was better because it also incentivizes me to like check off the box as soon as possible so i do the assignment soon and then i have free time later rather than i have free time now and then the dread of not handing in the assignment is hitting me later yeah, so crucial. My my yoga teacher 
said once that uh, a lot of times people say that they want to learn to meditate so they can turn their brain off, quote unquote. You know, when she said that doesn't make any sense because the brain's job is to think you can't really turn yeah. your brain off. And the value of meditation is to practice thinking about one thing for a couple of minutes mm -hmm. or longer which always really resonated with me as well. But yeah, I mean, there's just, again, because the brain's job is to think, it just endlessly comes up with things. To say nothing of what life throws at you, you know, all life does is give you things that you need oh, to yeah. do or want to do or <laughs> have to do. And so, yeah, you know, there is a finite amount of space, I think, in the brain. You know, we think of it as like, you know, the brain is this abstract, infinite, you know, space or wealth of knowledge. But you get too much stuff up there and things start crashing into each other, oh, yeah. which is, I think, where stress and overwhelm kind of comes into play. So I'm all about getting it out of the head and, <laughs> yeah, and onto 100%. the page. You're a video game person. Oh, yes. What kind of video games? So m I, I'm also a big reader. So narr narrative heavy games have been my jam mostly. It's been a while since I've owned a console so i'm mostly a pc gamer too I, I mentioned like i've been on a real kick of crpgs which is computer rpgs like divinity original and sin 2 and Baldur's Gate 3 those have been incredible games recently that i very much enjoyed game of the year that Baldur's Gate 3 I yeah believe. it is oh there's like a really funny cliff of it with todd howard in the background of the dude announcing Baldur's Gate 3 wins this Baldur's Gate 3 and he todd howard's like because <laughs> like starfield got one thing i think <laughs> i think um i haven't played Baldur's gate through three but you know i'm familiar with with diablo and and things like yeah. that Baldur's gate three is turn-based though yes right it, it's based off of the dungeons and dragons system okay so how does because I'm, I'm struggling when i think of Baldur's gate three and maybe i'm just thinking of earlier installments i'm thinking about sort of the the isometric diablo sort of point of view yes. so how do you is that how it is and how does that mesh with the turn-based paradigm so it's isometric point of view you click the mouse to move your character everywhere and you run into encounters that are combat and they have a turn-based system or you can run into npcs and just have a chat with them essentially and then you as certain social situations require you to be able to make a dice check and the game rolls internally like a one in 20 chance essentially and if you roll one on the dice, you automatically fail. 20, it's a automatic success. And then combat works similar. And then there's another, there's so many layers to it. So it's difficult to fully describe. Yeah, for sure. Very much enjoy it. Does it successfully capture the, the essence or the spirit of Dungeons & Dragons? I'd say mostly. It's hard. It's really hard to get a one-to-one -one, um, replica of Dungeons & Dragons just because of how much freedom is in Dungeons & Dragons. But it gets very close. Like, there's a point in the game where it just lets you lick a spider corpse, which is, if you want to do that, you want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people are into what they're into. With Dungeons & Dragons, which I've never played, despite being a fantasy guy of a sort as well, I know the community is mm -hmm. a big aspect, and the camaraderie of playing Absolutely. Dungeons & Dragons in person is big. Does Baldur's Gate manage to, to emulate or capture that somehow? I imagine you can play multiplayer. Yes, there, it does have multiplayer abilities. It, there are a lot of shenanigans doing multiplayer run-throughs. And when you're doing a single-player run-through even, a lot of the characters in the game are very well-written, so... People like to have traumatic backstories for their D&D &D characters, and a lot of the storylines you can go through, you have a lot of freedom of how you end up affecting these characters. Like, some characters, depending on how you play the game in, like, an evil or good way, how they end up by the end of the game is completely different. That's why there's, like, nearly 1,500 endings to the game, because there's six origin characters and there's an additional seventh that is only play, uh, player character. And depending on how you do the quests in the game and how you interact with them, you can end up in so many different positions. And that very much does capture a lot of the character and role-playing aspect of Dungeons & Dragons because that's what people resonate with so much is incredible stories, being able to live a life that they they actually don't have and experience something entirely different in life. And it's really magical. Yeah. That speaks to me too. I remember in my younger years, 
reading fancy or playing RPGs yeah. and always feeling like, oh, this world is so much more mm-hmm. exciting than my own. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like Tom Bombadil in Lord of the Rings. That's yeah. kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What, for those that don't know, what is a, a dungeon master or game master responsible for in these kinds of things? You're essentially God. So the dungeon master essentially creates the entire world or in the case of pre-made campaigns will run from a module. And essentially your job is to kind of control every enemy that the the party will face, which the party is played by player characters, as well as basically enact every single NPC in the game. This can be very varying in terms of how hard people go. Like I know Matthew Mercer is very hardcore in his Dungeon Master skills, and I also like to voice act a lot when playing Dungeons and Dragons. So as a game master, I like to pretty much have everything role played in a hyper specific way. And it can be that degree or it can be like simply, oh, the person says this to you and explains it's this way. Like there's lots of diff- it's lots of freedom, but essentially you are the game. Wow. That sounds like a lot of responsibility, but also a lot of reward for you. Oh, yeah. I've had like in I know my previous campaign I did, I had an entire notebook of the entire world. What happens if they don't complete this event by this day? The consequences it's yeah, no, I love creative writing and D and D is perfect for that. Cause I also love world building as yes. well. Yeah. I was going to say that must tie in perfectly to your need to oh, write yeah. creatively. Yeah. That's great. Big time sink. It's worth it. <laughs> Even if they don't find everything, it's still worth it. Yeah. Awesome. You mentioned that uh, one of the things that you struggle with is, is burnout and making use of free time mm-hmm. because of burnout. Tell me a little bit about that. So when I feel I can't do anything anymore, it I don't know how to describe it because my brain feels like it's not there anymore, essentially. And when I finally have free time after doing a bunch of assignments or a bunch of uh, work for my work, it's I feel like I can't do anything. So I have to like physically lay down and do nothing to recharge. It's literally like, my battery has like expended and I need to get it back up. It happens in social situations. I'm a massive introvert. I can hide it well, but after I'm done with the situation, I need a recharge for sometimes even weeks. Yep. That's why and I'm going to close the door after you leave. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I can totally relate to that. I think um, it's almost paradoxical because it seems like how is it, difficult to really leverage your free time but i think you're right that you know we're all so busy and and occupied all the time that when you have free time it can be sort of uh either overwhelming to decide how should i spend this Mm -hmm. free hour or half hour that i have or and i think that's because you you kind of don't have any willpower to decide and so i know for me that's when a lot of youtube consumption sort of happens inadvertently oh yeah absolutely it's such a rabbit hole there's so much stuff there like there's a youtube channel i got hooked on called tier zoo that literally just like treats animals like it's a video game ranking them based off of parameters and there's a meta it it was really fun shay actually got me into that which is funny and also yeah because it's like i can either go on youtube i can do some of my personal projects which i do enjoy doing or i can play video games with my friends and most of the time it's play video games with friends because yeah (laughs) yeah well it's rewarding in its way as well yeah but yeah i just I've totally been there where it's like you don't have any willpower left to decide what might feel like a more productive Mm -hmm. choice for your free time. And you're right that there's just so much on YouTube and there's a lot of it's really valuable. You know, I when I was rowing this morning before I came here, you know, I was watching something on YouTube while doing that. And the thing that I was watching is something I really value and really um, take a lot of joy in consuming. But I've also been thinking, particularly just this semester, just how often I'm receiving an input. Because I feel like it's it's almost the, the default because I'm always, quote unquote, always listening to a podcast or watching something on YouTube or reading a book even or listening to an album. And again, all of those things that I'm consuming, all of those inputs are valuable to me, things that I enjoy. So I don't think they're they're inherently evil or harmful or anything like that. But I do wonder, you know, to what degree 
am I a little bit deficient in minutes or hours where I am not receiving input from something? Yeah, no, it's a very difficult slope to na- navigate, I think, too, because I know something I've got recommended is to, like, set specific hours to where you can, like, have that free time. But then again, like, if something is a little bit over time, like, you accidentally tabbed onto, like, a 44-minute video talking about tropes in literature, it's, I want to finish that. So then you go over time, and then you feel bad about going over time, and then that spirals from there and there. And yeah. It's like, wow. The time is so finite. Yeah. 24 hours in a day does not feel long enough, and you're supposed to sleep half the time. I know. And like, no, nah, I don't want to sleep. Who's got the time? You mentioned earlier uh, ADHD and autism. Yes. What is what is it like sort of on a, if you can, in terms of like a, on a daily basis, how do those things affect your your life or the way that you move through the world? A lot, quite frankly. Um, for I'll kind of like go into two steps with them. My ADHD It feels like every time I'm talking to someone or trying to do a task, there's like four threads running through my mind and I have to focus on this one at a time and really hold on to it or else like I'll start thinking about something else, like start talking about a completely unrelated topic and it's difficult to like really rein in on that and that's another reason why I burn out because I also feel like I'm kind of fighting with myself sometimes And for autism, it's just, I feel like I, like masking's a good word for it. Like, I don't, like, I do feel human emotions and like, I do feel happiness, but like, I have to like put on a smile sometimes because I don't understand some of facial emotional cues. So like, if I say something reassuring with a blank face and like a monotone tone, I, I don't immediately realize what kind of effect that can have on a person. So I have to like kind of nuance my voice to, as well as my facial expressions to work well with that as well as, Oh, I completely forgot what I was going to add as well with it. Oh, oh yeah, no. And I just completely don't understand sarcasm. So sometimes people will be joking with me with something and I'll take it as serious and they'll have to be like, Oh no, 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 no. I wasn't being serious about that. So Definitely affects me in like social situations as well as productivity. Wow. Yeah, those are things I wouldn't have thought of. Is there, kind of going back to what we were talking about just a couple minutes ago, with regard to just the, the vast amount of things that we could be consuming, I think the ADHD, and I'm, I'm obviously not saying that you're saying this. I know it is a clinical thing for a lot of people, right? But do you feel like there are environmental environmental factors that that exacerbate the the sort of inherent ADHD that's already there absolutely in modern society it has to be when especially when places are too loud for me like I hate going to the stores because they're blasting music and I just get sensory overload so quickly and it's I have to like immediately leave I do have like a shelf life in stores because even at school sometimes when it gets really crazy and people are like loud in the hallways sometimes I have to just like dart through and then someone will grab me because I'm a recognizable face on campus so I then have to talk with them because I don't want them to feel bad and then oh it's sometimes so overstimulating yeah absolutely I am one of my pet peeves is is televisions and restaurants which it's yeah. some restaurants you go into and it's just it doesn't matter what seat at the table you pick there is You're a television one, yeah. and you i have a very difficult time not looking at a television mm-hmm. even if it's a sports game that i don't care about yeah, at all no. it's just you can't help the eye is just drawn to it um i don't know it feels like this the cynic in me when we talk about this in class sometimes and i feel like it comes back to that inputs thing like like some I think it's scary for a lot of people, myself included, to be alone with their thoughts a lot of the time. And so it's easy because there are so many different things we could allocate our attention to. It's so easy to when you start feeling that existential dread, whatever form it may take, you know, it's just let me just watch this video to distract me. Bury it under the video. Like, yeah, it's. It's like almost hypnotizing it like, oh, forget about all the pain on the inside. Focus on this external reward. 
pretty much. Yes. And I feel like that's, for me, what was so sort of traumatic about the the pandemic is that we were all, there was a meme, like, can you imagine if this was happening before the internet? Because seriously, thank goodness for the internet, you know, during that pandemic. But at the same time, I think one of the reasons why the pandemic was so traumatic is that, you know, we were all stuck at home. And yeah, you could watch Netflix all day or whatever. But I think it did give us because it forced us all Mm. to stop. I think it did force us all to be alone with our thoughts a lot more than we were used to. Absolutely. Which was really just sort of overwhelming and and dreadful. Yeah, that's putting it lightly, I think. (laughs) For me, it really made me question my identity, I think, in some ways, because you can't see your friends, can't see your family members, can't go see your students. And it's like all these things just got eliminated. And it's like, well, who the heck am I without all those things? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because like, I, I like, I'll go back to the masking things. Like I use so much, I have to be a certain person for so many situations. But the moment I'm just left with myself, I'm like, who am I? What do I want to do? And then it spirals then, then there. And it can get very bad sometimes. So like, luckily I was able to like, kind of connect with my family a little bit better over the pandemic but every time i was alone it was not great to put it lately yeah yeah it was pretty dark for me too for a while yeah. there I, I it's wild because like i've one of my friends was like nah the pandemic was great i gotta sit on my rear and play games all the time and i was like i not not me but i'm glad you enjoyed it like that's a bright side to that but me personally it was like humans are kind of social creatures so even though i am an introvert it's i do kind of need that social interaction sometimes which is interesting yeah i agree 100 percent. you know having lived through it now in retrospect part of me is kind of like eh, i mean i wouldn't mind shutting down again for a <laughs> yeah. little while maybe we just shut down society just for like two weeks every year yeah no because everyone thought it was going to be three weeks initially and then nothing came back and it was like <sighs> yeah i remember thinking i hope this doesn't extend into the summer because like you know i want to do summer things with people that i care about yeah yeah, i don't know man but here we are and the pandemic's over now so (laughs) (laughs) all right i think i've got just about everything here are you the president of sga yes i am way to not mention that (laughs) sorry i i just it's weird because like i it's so weird because i don't initially open that up because i know I, it's weird because I sometimes feel like I'm bragging, but I really am not. So it's weird because I like people to know that as a resource because I know a lot of things about the campus, but I don't want to brag about it. It's weird because I think I'm bragging about it whenever I mention it, but it's really not. Like if you know the full story about it, I was like kind of the only one there. So <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean because I was um, I did two years as the president of what was then called College yeah, Congress. And, um, yeah, it's hard not to say I am the president of X um, without feeling yeah. a little a little braggy. But it's yeah. also just a statement of fact. You know, somebody yeah. has to do it. Oh, no, so, 100%. Do you like that position? I do because it allows me to help a lot of people. And it's weird because even though I'm in – I feel like I keep on going back to I'm an introvert, but I like helping people. And I like getting a little bit of social interaction. So it, it's rewarding, absolutely. I definitely, if when I go to a four-year, I'm probably going to take a semester break from this, doing this kind of stuff because it is overwhelming at times. So I'll probably need to recharge before I do it again, but I'll probably end up doing it again in a four-year. Yeah. The recharging, I think, is crucial because I also relate to being a an introvert, but you know, it's not, it's a sliding scale, yeah. you know, and depending on the context, like obviously I'm not really introverted in the classroom, have you yeah. seen? Because I thought, well, I mean, I'm sure you could and Mm. do it well, but for me to teach at my best, I definitely feel like I need to switch on a different part of myself. And after those 75 minutes, I definitely come in here and close the door and stare at the floor. (laughs) Yeah, no, the floor is the best place. (laughs) I prefer the ceiling. I'll lay on the floor and look up at the ceiling. (laughs) Lying on the floor is is underrated, if you ask me. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, a lot of support having the whole earth underneath you. Oh, yeah. Hiram, before we go, uh, I asked you to prepare a recommendation for the listeners, something you feel like everybody should check out. Uh, do you have a recommendation for the listeners today? Check out threw me off, but I definitely have like a thing. So the, uh, I, I struggle with it quite a bit, but I ultimately decided that this world, there's a lot of choices you are pressured to make, essentially. 
every option there even when you open up the internet you have the option of go to google go to images and the thing i want to say is don't judge yourself based off the choices that you don't make or i uh, can't make just make the choices that you do count essentially so if you want to do this but you need to do this you need to realize that you need to make that choice count you need to do the thing that you need to do because down the line doing the thing that you need to do will allow you to do that again it's even though you take one road that doesn't mean the road doesn't loop back Absolutely. hundred percent. I'm going to let that stand for itself because it, it totally speaks to me and I hope it speaks to the listeners too. Thank you. Hiram, thank you so much for being here. It was great to get to talk to you. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk to you too. And thank you everybody very much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please do tell somebody else to listen to it. That <laughs> helps us out. And until next time, thank you all very much. Have a good day. <laughs> You uh, have Game Master, Dungeon Master, Game Master? I I used Game Master over Dungeon Master for a reason. Yeah, we don't say Dungeon Master anymore. Um, (laughs) If we do say Dungeon Master, it's just I I, I said Dungeon Master to a friend that doesn't um, play Dungeons and Dragons, and they thought an entirely different Dungeon Master. I see. Yeah. People are into what they're into.